is RTT 51. Number 51. We still Temptation in the wilderness. Temptation in the wilderness. We're in the wilderness. Yes. We're braving it. We're not wandering. We're not, we're braving the wilderness. At least that's what we say. That's right. Uh, What else would we say? Uh, But it's temptation uh, in the wilderness. And uh, I don't know, uh, maybe we could talk about uh, what a temptation is for you. I just, you know, during this, I thought I would eat a lot. Yeah. I thought I would probably. Uh, now, partly we've been really busy, so maybe that's why, but I haven't really eaten a lot. Um, but I did just have a Pop-Tart, well, two Pop-Tarts, they come in pairs. And uh, <laughs> I probably have had more than my quota of Pop-Tarts. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying that's a temptation. I never well, pegged you for a Pop-Tart guy. I know, I'm surprising. I'm a what's complicated. Your, what's, your, uh, what's your go-to flavor? Well, I like uh, cherry. Uh, uh-huh. I like the brown. Is it brown sugar cinnamon? Brown sugar. Or is it? That's, yeah, that's a good yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, I like those. I mean, I you know, I like blueberry. I like strawberry. I mean, what, what's not to like? But I think those are my two go-tos uh, when I'm tempted to have a Pop-Tart. Uh, Did you ever have the uh, alternative, the uh, toaster strudel? Yeah. 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 It's less tempting. Less, <laughs> so, less of a temptation. I'm I'm not in my office because we couldn't get the thing to work. I'm um, borrowing someone else's office who's not mm-hmm. at work, and uh, my temptation is to go through their stuff. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, right, right. I like to rummage through people's things. Right. Yeah, and you would have it'd be look like you're working, so you could just be, you know, <laughs> while we're talking on the podcast, you're just rifling through his stuff, and it looks like you're actually having a spiritual conversation. <laughs> on a, on a exactly. churchy podcast. That exactly. is a pretty strong temptation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I, since I just had my Pop-Tart and I succumbed to the temptation, I'm pretty much fine. Um, <laughs> Good. So, all right. Temptation. Temptation in the wilderness. And maybe uh, there's a relationship between temptation and the wilderness. Maybe the wilderness uh, exposes or reveals or something is there maybe do are we more should we be more aware of temptation are we more aware or what our temptations are weak spots are in the wilderness than we are in the hustle bustle of life thoughts Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i don't know how to say it um i don't know what what a good picture or analogy is but um the the wilderness seems to force us so to speak force us and confronts us with things in our lives that we can maybe distract ourselves from or escape from. We're so busy. We can just kind of keep out running, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, something, something that we need to deal with and Mm -hmm. the wilderness, um, it forces us to do that. And, uh, so yeah, I, I think that's one of the trappings, uh, but a good, it's one of the good trappings of the wilderness is, you can't really get away from that. I mean, you could try, uh, but it's harder. I guess that's harder to do in the wilderness. Like just, let's say one of your stressors is a core relationship in your family and you're stuck with them 24 seven, right? Or right. you're single and you're lonely. Um, right. You know, what do you do? Right. So that's maybe more of, it's more of a reality check slash um, your cope, the way you would cope with it by getting yourself away from there or whatever you just have less 
a less of an opportunity to do that. And, uh, you sort of have to confront it at some level. Right. Yeah. Uh, Now it probably doesn't invent, you're not suddenly tempted to, you know, probably not suddenly tempted to something you weren't already tempted to. It's just a magnifying glass. Maybe it just kind of exposes it, brings it out. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I typically think that I don't think, I mean, it's possible, but I tend to think there are stories carry along histories Mm -hmm. and, uh, those just become a sharper focus for us here, a sharper temptation here. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, you know, on that theory, um, we're going to look at Matthew four, one through 11, when Jesus is in the wilderness and he's tempted, uh, and maybe these are more stark or more flagrant versions of temptations that he would face in his ministry or in his life. And maybe they're more, you know, I guess more plainly put, um, that, uh, we can talk about that. Maybe, maybe that's the case that these are in the wilderness and they're magnified and brought to the front. Uh, and outside of the wilderness, there's the same temptations. They just kind of come in different package maybe. Um, so if that's the case, then the wilderness has an advantage to it when it comes to actually, if we want to deal with our temptations, uh, it, it, they're not hidden as much. I do, I do think, um, the wilderness will serve its purpose in a good way. And I do think in many ways you can come out stronger mm-hmm. on the other side of the wilderness. Yeah. Whatever, as we define that. So let me read, uh, Matthew four, one through 11, and then we'll just kind of, uh, explore some of the, uh, temptations you were speaking this weekend. So you've got some of the temptations, uh, that we would face with respect to the wilderness. Uh, and, uh, I'll let you, uh, explain that and explore that. Uh, but, uh, Matthew four, one through 11, uh, is that Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Uh, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Uh, Okay, so it seems like... uh, it's it, well, let's maybe just talk about the passage uh, a little bit, maybe unpack it a little bit before we jump into the temptations. Um, so this is before he is really at the very beginning of when his earthly ministry launches, mm-hmm. and he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Uh, so what is that about? Um Yeah. You know, the spirit of God leads. So it's not an accident. It's not, uh, you know, the devil didn't trick him or corner him. Um, This is a uh, more of a straight up face up, eyes open, 
you know, shoot out at the OK Corral kind of thing where you're just walking right into it. Yeah. Uh, and that apparently is something that uh, God desired as he's led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Like in order, the reason he's going into the wilderness is to be tempted. Um, so what, what do you think that's, I mean, that's a pretty thorny theological question, sure. uh, but it is interesting. And this is a podcast and we probably should not just pass over <laughs> it lightly. Like what's that about? Uh, I, yeah, the more I consider Matthew four and where it lies with Jesus and his ministry. And then the more I think about Israel, there's so many layers to me happening here in this passage. And so I think you know, this is right after Jesus baptism, the, sp mm -hmm. the spirit comes down the form of a dove, the father's voice. This is my son, which Israel was also God's son. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And what we see in the, and the showdown, as you call it, between Jesus and Satan is Jesus quotes Deuteronomy, which is the fifth book of Torah. It's a sermon that Moses would have given um, as they were finished with their wilderness test, mm -hmm. which we know that they basically failed. They mm -hmm. failed the wilderness test and uh, they didn't live up to the faithfulness that was hoped for from God's son, Israel. And so one of the things we're seeing is that Jesus is reliving the story on behalf of Israel, but also on our behalf so that he could have, so that he could pass the test so that he could be victorious over evil. Mm -hmm. So what Israel uh, was intended to do and did not do, Jesus came uh, to do, to fulfill the true function of Israel, right? Which is to be God's presence in the world. God's, uh, you know, got the picture of what God looks like to the world. Uh, they didn't do a very good job of that. Mm -hmm. uh, and he, and when part of what Jesus comes is, is to do that, not just to die on the cross and rise again, but to fulfill what the son of God, what Israel, the people of God, should have done, didn't do, or were, you know, intended to do, didn't do. Right. Because their, their vocation is our vocation. Mm -hmm. It has new nuances to it, but to be a light to the, the Gentiles and a light to the world around us is the same vocation throughout right. scripture. So Jesus fulfilled their calling faithfully so that he could empower us to fulfill Right. Our calling and and victory over evil was a significant question for uh, them, but for us and for early mm -hmm. century Jews, for sure. Yeah, right. Yeah. So to be the people of God, uh, to be an example, uh, to be what God looks like to the world, to be the presence of God in the world, uh, that's our calling as well. So Jesus is fulfilling Israel's calling and then showing us, exemplifying our calling to us. Uh, and so he's, he's, he goes in and he's tempted 40 days, 40 nights. He's hungry. Uh, I, I like that verse after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Yes. I bet he was. He uh, probably was. He probably was. Uh, you know, I fast 40 days and 40 nights from a pop tart maybe, uh, but I'm <laughs> eating other stuff. So he's hungry. So it's real temptation. Like he's, you know, so it's not like a parlor trick. The tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He's actually like, you know what? 
you know, some bread would be good right now. Uh, yeah. So it's a, it's a real temptation. And that then settles into the, probably the mystery. One of the mysteries, one of the mysteries of the incarnation is that uh, it says Jesus was tempted. How yeah. that could be so might be a little beyond our understanding, but uh, the text is pretty clear. Uh, you know, he came to tempt him. Yeah, and, and there is a lot here um, systematically, doctrinally to talk about, which we don't have time for, and it's probably a little over my head unless I spend some more time just refreshing and research. But 100% God, 100% human, and yet um, Philippians 2 emptied himself of his mm -hmm. divine rights, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, so his tempted his, in every way that we were as yeah, uh, his, his as, temptations yeah. were not faced by a God. His temptations were faced by a fully yeah. human person. Right. Otherwise, right. It, you know, it, it seems silly. It seems almost just to go through the motions that obviously we know from the book of James, God can't be tempted, nor does he tempt anybody. Uh, right. So, so there's yeah. the mystery. There's the, you know, the paradox of the incarnation and it's more, how can God become man? How can something be fully God and fully man? That's the paradox. And the paradox works itself out into, you know, did Jesus really not know who touched him? Or could he really be tempted? And somehow, both of those things are true. I mean, somehow, the, you know, beyond our, our ability to describe, uh, both of those things are true. Uh, and so there's the temptation to turn stones into bread, the temptation to throw himself down and demonstrate kind of demonstrate that because it's a messianic uh uh the, the you know the devil quotes uh uh quotes the bible back to jesus and it's a messianic I, you know if you're if you do this you'll be caught since you're the messiah and it'll be demonstration that you're the messiah you're god's son yeah um uh, and uh and then the temptation to have you know all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor by worshiping uh, Satan. Um, and you know, those are the three temptations. So I don't know if we want to say something in general about, you know, that sequence or any well, thoughts I, on that? Yeah, I have, I have a few thoughts and then I'd love to hear your thoughts. Cause I think they're both applicable. Um, I'm, I'm reading through, um, some lectures by N.T. Wright where he argues, uh, he, he tries to get back into first century, um, expectations around Jesus history and second temple Judaism. And he talks about the importance of, uh, one of the things he talked about is the importance of temple, that the temple for the Israelites was the microcosm of what the cosmos was really like, which it's the interlocking and overlap of heaven and earth that heaven mm -hmm. was some space out there, but it was really this interlocking play with the natural physical world. And the temple represented that. And, um, he also talks about Sabbath, but the other thing he talks about is the theme of kingship. And if I'm trying to think through the temptations, uh, as maybe an early disciple, I probably would have heard all of these Jewish things coming up, such as, uh, bread stones and bread would have taken me back to manna in the mm -hmm. wilderness, mm -hmm. um, trusting and dependency on God. And then where does Satan take Jesus? He takes him to the temple Mount. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there's some type of. Jesus fulfillment of the temple, which was an anticipation when the temple gets right for the Jews, then Messiah can come. 
And then it's bow down and worship. I'll give you the kingdoms. So mm-hmm. what is this theme of kingship here? And they're all coming together, woven together in the person of Christ. I don't know if they fully knew that. I don't know if I fully understand that. Um, but it's interesting to me to see some of those layers come to life in the history of the scriptures. Yeah. And if that's if that's partly true, then <clears throat> part of like what we said before, that this would have been you know, sort of a shortcut to a partial fulfillment of the people of God instead of bypassing all these temptations, withstanding them. And then it's a real fulfillment of the mission of the people of God. Like all of these things were things that were somehow associated with Messiah and temple, but they were not the full version, which is how temptation works, right? It's not, uh, it's not like, uh, you know, you're tempted by something that's completely foreign to your, to your, your, your natural and, uh, and appropriate desires. There's some twist. I mean, it's a, it's your natural and appropriate desires with a twist, with Mm -hmm. a, Mm -hmm. right. With us, with a change that actually makes it something that it's not supposed to be. Uh, and if that's the case, those two ideas kind of then come together, uh, where that's what, you know, that's what temptation often looks like for us, that it's something that's close, close enough that we can tell ourselves a pretty story about it, but it's not. Uh, and, you know, maybe that's what uh, Satan was doing. Uh, and it's interesting, of course, Jesus um, has uh, scripture to answer. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, and then, then the devil gets in on the game. He knows scripture too. So he uh, you know, he quotes a little back to Jesus to try to trap him and, you know, so interesting thing. So, um, so that's temptation in the wilderness. Now maybe we could talk about, uh, you know, some of the temptations that we might have in general in being in any wilderness, you know, the wilderness of grief or, you know, the wilderness of depression or the wilderness of a global pandemic, uh, or whatever the wilderness might be. Um, and so, yeah, one of the things, uh, you know, one of the things you said, I think, is that the first the first thing that we're tempted to do in the wilderness is to say that this is a waste, that the wilderness is just a waste. Yeah. Uh, what do you what do you mean by that? Yeah, um, I think the wilderness is it's in between space. It's liminal space. It's uh, you're not at the beginning and you're not at the end. And so one of the great temptations in the wilderness is to try to expedite the process. And how Mm -hmm. do we get out? We don't, we don't live well with tension. We don't, it's like a long road trip and, you know, kids saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Um, We want the journey or the process to be over. And I think God is very, very interested in the process and the duration of the process. Hmm. Um, that we would like it to be done quickly, um, but that's just not how God works when we see scriptures and um, bringing about character formation, but also bringing about his promises. He's, he doesn't seem to be in any big hurry. That seems to be our agenda. Um, I think he he takes his time working things out and growing things. And so, yeah, for me, one of the temptations is to say, this: nothing is normal. This isn't right. I don't like it. So let's just hurry up and get through it and get to the next thing so we can get back to normal. Yeah, I think that's so true. I do think, um, 
one of the one of the interesting tensions of this particular wilderness is we don't know how long it's going to last and there's a much discussion about you know when will things get back to normal and what are the stages to getting back to normal which is i think what it's just what we do in the wilderness is how do we I, i just want this to be over yeah i just need to get through it and then resume normal life resume the life where if there is a purpose to the wilderness that God has for us, which is, I guess, the opposite of a waste, is there some purpose that God wants to do, then then actually the wilderness is necessary to that purpose and I shouldn't try to rush through it or I'll just, I, you know, the temptation that the wilderness is a waste actually tempts me to waste the wilderness experience by missing the whole, and that's how I'll add this whole thing is just, um, you know, it's put my life on pause. I hate it. I just need to get through it, which is what we do want to do. Whatever. I mean, we, we do that. We want to do that with grief or we want to do that with, you know, a bad work situation or, you know, money. Pro- I just need to get on the other side uh, when I think maybe there's a part of, there's, there's certainly a part of that that God wants to do something in us. He wants to redeem part of this for some purpose that we wouldn't get to otherwise, right? Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. If if for nothing else than to teach us that when that that we are disequilibriated in the wilderness, and that's actually a great place for us right. because yeah. we love to be put together and we want to feel uh, the calm, and we don't like you know being rattled. And I just don't see Jesus. You take Jesus and Peter, for instance. You don't see Jesus thinking that that's the best route for humanity. Mm. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. So our equilibrium isn't really that great usually. Like the equilibrium that we would choose would be probably one that does not lead to our bearing fruit, being mature, being on mission. It just, we'd be comfortable and we'd enjoy it more. Were you uh, surprised at, at, um, I, I was a little surprised at some of the early, it felt early to me of the announcements of let's start talking about reopening. I just thought with all the predictions of how bad things were, I just didn't anticipate that conversation very soon. Yeah, no, I think that's, I mean, I, 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 I understand it from the standpoint of people who are out of work and people who have businesses, they, they feel like sure. they need to have that conversation. <clears throat> I do feel like the better way to get into this, it seems like the message was, okay, just think about the next two weeks and don't go anywhere. Or just think about the next three weeks, don't leave your house. Uh, and then we'll worry about it later. When it, it probably would have been better to say, hey, listen, we're in for a long journey here. Yeah. And the first part of the journey is going to be like this, and then we'll have to figure it out from there. Um, and I think, you know, maybe we're in for a long journey is the part of the wilderness of, I don't control how long I'm going to be grieving. I, I don't control, there's no way to, you know, get through a certain, and that, so I know that on day 17, I'm going to feel, and that's just the nature of the wilderness. And, but we want to make it, you know, we want to rush through it. Uh, so I do think it's a good example of, uh, you know, people, we don't want to sit back and think, you know, we could be, our lives could be disrupted. I mean, not maybe necessarily like this disruption, but they might be significantly disrupted for a year for longer. And if so, 
back to the, you know, back to the point you just made. If so, what does God want to, like, the worst thing would be to pine for the end of the wilderness for a year and not benefit anything from it. And, you know, just try to be miserable and close our eyes. Much better to say, okay, what is, let's not waste this. What does God want to do? What is he, what is he up to in my life? What do I need to lay down, give up? Yeah. What say no to whatever. I don't know. Um, and that could be, uh, many numbers. I mean, and that's not to dismiss the actual pain of the wilderness. I mean, we haven't held our grandchild for, you know, for a month, uh, or more now, and who knows how long that'll be. And so there's real pain. People are obviously in real distress. Uh, and so, but even more so, even that is that being true, it's even more of an incentive to, okay, what does God want to do in this that I won't let him do otherwise, or that I won't give him the space to do otherwise, maybe. Uh, and, you know, you, I think you referenced John 15 in your message, uh, or at least it was in your notes, um, you know, where Jesus says that he's the vine and the Father will come and prune us, right? Yeah. I'm the vine and you're the branches and he's going to come prune. And that sounds in a spiritual way, in a Sunday school Bible study, <laughs> that sounds spiritual, but it probably yeah. won't. It's not, it, we don't like it when it's happening, right? So I think it was Bruce Wilkerson. He wrote the prayer of Jabez. And I get that he got a bad rap for that book and right. maybe he deserved some of it. But he wrote another book called Secrets of the Vine. And it's uh -huh. a short book on John uh, 15. I really uh, enjoyed that book a lot. And he talked about, um, he he was meeting with uh, owner of a vineyard and watched what he was doing with his vines. And he just thought it was so wrong and it looked so violent. And And he said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm not just cutting back dead branches. I'm cutting back live branches, good ones, because I have to cut them back so that A, it, it allows oxygen and sunlight to come in, but then B, all the nutrients from the ground only go to a few branches to produce the best fruit. Mm -hmm. And the pruning process is not pretty and it's painful. And good things like jobs and holding grandkids and all the, you know, eating out at restaurants and being with friends, those hurt and they're good yeah. things, but they're painful. And so, yeah, but the, the, the God prunes us. And, and again, we have to keep saying this. I think we're not saying anything about God causing the virus. We're just saying right. what happens in the wilderness and God works in the wilderness um, and he prunes us in the wilderness and he sharpens us and he cuts things away, not just things that we know we shouldn't be up to, things that are good and they're taken right. away from us, maybe for a season, maybe for a really long time, maybe for good. Um, it's up to his wisdom, but he prunes us uh, in, the, in the wilderness. Yeah. And so that, you know, that painful pruning, that pruning we probably wouldn't do outside of the universe, uh, wilderness because it is painful uh is for our own good and that that belief that the wilderness isn't a waste that god means to redeem that he's he's got some he's up up to something with me is really an act of faith uh and it's really when we say living our faith out that's one of the 
ways that which we live our faith out is to believe God still is at work. Uh, he's at work in me. What's happening is important. Today is important. Uh, it's not a place marker. It's not a waste. You know, he's got, he's up to something today, even if everything I wanted to do today is shot. Uh, and that really can be a strong act of faith if we're able to walk that way. Uh, yes. And I, th I think one of the things that will help us really get through in the wilderness is not to say, if I can get everything back to normal or when everything gets back to normal, it's to say something of a more core layer of like Philippians 1, 6, like God is going to complete the work that he started in me. That's a hopeful thing that I can say, that's true. I can stand on that no matter how I come out on the other side of this wilderness, uh, relationally, financially, anything, phys uh, you know, physical well-being, um, God is going to complete the work that he started. And mm -hmm. I, I can stay there and with both feet. Yeah. And in some cases, because uh, I am who I am, some sort of wilderness might be necessary for him to complete the work because I will stand in the way. Yeah. Uh, other another way so um okay so that's a temptation that the wilderness is a waste another temptation that you mentioned is, is it's a temptation to deny the impact of the wilderness mm -hmm. uh, um, to minimize it uh, yeah. perhaps uh, yeah i was listening to a story of uh one of our staff members was listening to another sermon i don't know why they would ever do that <laughs> this was temptation. after they already <laughs> temptation yeah mm -hmm. they failed yep. um but it was a it was a, in the sermon the person said um you know if you have fear you need to repent mm -hmm. just kind of point blank you shouldn't be afraid if you are afraid you need to repent and i think some people have that mindset that fear or anything negative or anything bad or anything that the wilderness might bring up in us that we just don't want to go there. We don't want to say that's true of me. So we just pretend that it's not true. And we like glamping. Have you ever seen these, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. You can have an air conditioner right. and a heater right. and a king size bed. Lazy boys and right. Lazy boys yeah. and TVs and everything else. And I think that's sometimes what we want in the wilderness. And instead of really embracing friends, we're in the wilderness. Like we don't have the normal comforts. We don't need to try to tame it. Just let's embrace it. We're it's here. okay to say that. It's okay to say, yeah, I hate that. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. You know, sometimes I wonder about, or sometimes I worry about, I mean, again, we, we've said this before, but that's what a lot of the Psalms are where the Psalmist just being really honest about, uh, I'm really angry about this, or I'm really, uh, upset about this and then i commit my way to the lord that that's there's not resolution to this situation the fearful situation still exists but i have recognized that you're god and i commit my way to you you're a good god and you know it doesn't mean i'm i'm gonna wake up tomorrow and think happy thoughts only um you know zippity doo da zippity a right where no i can get up and say yeah i I really hate this, uh, right. that this is really wearing on me or, 
because I think ironically, one of the impacts of the wilderness, it would, might be to be tempted, uh, to, you know, to something that the wilderness, um, invites us to, uh, and one way to sort of work with that temptation is to say, yeah, no, I'm being tempted. You know, this is one of the impacts of the wilderness is I'm being tempted to be fearful all the time or being tempted to, you know, pretend that everything's great or I'm being tempted to, you know, not, you know, not to, to have a, a sort of surface belief, but not really have a deep faith in, you know, God's, God's goodness to me or so on. Um, and I think that's, you know, one of the ways to deal with the wilderness is to sort of name it and be truthful about it and say, I hate this. Uh, and you know, that, that that's the impact is, is profound. And, uh, Lord help me deal with the impact of the wilderness is a more healthy way to deal with it than, no, it's fine. I'm a good Christian and God loves me. So wilderness, no wilderness, no, no problems. Well, yeah, totally. And here's, here's how I think temptation works. It's not put, put there from the devil that we didn't already have it. It's already inside of us. Mm-hmm. It's already been there. If you take a jar filled with candy and you dump it out, the candy falls out. And so whatever is in there, um, the devil knows how to play those heartstrings, so to speak. So that fear's always been there, right. you know? And what what God uses um, even the tempting for is to say, oh, I should pay attention to this. Like, mm-hmm. how do this is a part of my life and a part of my heart. Um, I can't just pretend it's not. And it's being, because yeah. of the wilderness, it's impacting me in such a way it's there. How do I pay attention to it? Like, what do I mm-hmm. do with that? Right. That's how you fight temptation. Mm-hmm. It's not by trying to work really hard not to be afraid. It's mm-hmm. by being in tune with your fear and then saying, okay, well, you're here and I am afraid of this, this, and this, but you can't, you don't get to be in charge now. Okay. After I've yeah. named you and become aware. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, you know, Jesus saying stones. I don't see any stones, you know, or whatever. Yeah. I'm not hungry. You know, don't worry about it. I'm not even hungry. I don't <laughs> even think about turning stones into bread or, you know, warm, warm, soft, crusty bread. I don't even think about it with butter. I don't even think about it. You got nothing. <laughs> yeah. Which is, yeah. Which we want to do. Yeah. So we deny the, the impact. I think another way to deny the impact of the wilderness is to, you know, catastrophize it and, oh, it's so terrible. Everything's terrible all the time. Well, you're not actually dealing with the real impact of it. You're sort of in a hyper agitated, everything's awful. Uh, I'm scared to go outside mode where in a way that's not really dealing with the real thing either. It's like a different sort of coping mechanism, right? Uh, I don't know. That's just one of my theories is that people who tend to catastrophize things, it's another way of not really dealing with, yeah. you know, if everything is the worst thing ever, then nothing ever is just regular painful. That's really good. Right? Yeah. yeah it and seems- I, seems a some type of mental strategy to either anesthetize or to lower the playing field or to heighten the playing field to where you don't have to feel the reality of what is, is yeah. happening. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, so then another, the, the, the third one that you have here is to, to temptation to let defeat turn into discouragement, uh, to sort of get to a place of, I don't know, kind of giving up maybe, you know, getting discouraged and just throwing the towel in maybe. 
Yeah, there's a lot of noise outside my office right now, so I have temptation to throw a towel or a, uh-huh. a few more things out the door. Okay, all right. Come on. <laughs> um, yeah, I think there's my own sense of what's this been, seven weeks now uh, mm-hmm. for for people, and I think it's easy to get discouraged. I think it's easy to when those temptations or those new things arise, it feels overwhelming. You don't know what to do with it. Maybe you suffer more defeat than victory. And um, I, I honestly never found that to be a problem with Jesus. I don't ever feel that he thought that was a problem with the disciples. He knew that he was going to guide them and lead them faithfully. And they were more discouraged by their own shortcomings than he was. And I think we're often more discouraged by our own shortcomings and he sees a greater uh, potential and can draw that out because it's it's his image within us. But yeah, I think, uh, you know, discouragement, um, you're around people that you love very much. And you and I both know that um, when you're around people that you love very much, you feel comfortable enough with them. So you might, you know, lash out more and let them see mm-hmm. your more stressful side mm-hmm. or, you know what, I'm going to felt this. So I've got a, I've got something to aim it on. And Mm -hmm. I think it's easy to get discouraged um, in the wilderness because we're, it's Jesus in and through us. He was victorious over evil. I'm not always victorious over evil Mm -hmm. though. And yeah. um, So so that's, that's the, in a sense, defeat is not, I mean, our own failings and struggles are not a surprise to Jesus. They're not a, a surprise to God and God's spirit. Uh, and it seems like we're too surprised by them. Like we, we want to hold a higher view of ourselves. And so then we fail and we, now I'm really discouraged, uh, instead of believing that God will complete his work in me, that I can't Mm -hmm. mess that up, uh, that I can take solace in that promise that I can, uh, I mean, one of the things defeat does uh, uh, for you being defeated is it gives you a deeper appreciation of grace that it, you know, the idea that we earn good favor from God just dies so hard that we just somehow, it just seems like I got to do better than this for God to love me. And can I just say, listen, I, I'm, you know, you, the one who knows me best knows how, how much I, knows about my own failings and false you know, beliefs and, and, you know, false starts and false steps, uh, and loves me more deeply than I love myself, has more grace for me than that. You know, that's an opportunity to say, you know, that God, God's grace for me is beyond my, something we theologically know, but can I experience God's grace for me is deep, deeper than I can even imagine. Uh, and that would be taking this, you know, the wilderness experience and redeeming it now I have a deeper appreciation for God's grace than I ever would have had before. That's a kind of an example of what we're talking about. Is, is that your, is that your, is that the office noise in the background? I don't know what that is. <laughs> I don't know either. Uh, so anyway, we have grace for those people. Uh, yes. So, uh, thoughts, uh, closing thoughts on grace since we're running out of time anyway. So are you, are you hearing a loud crackling? Yeah. 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 I'm hearing it every time you talk, but you want to, if, if your audio is good, you want to close out? Yeah, I'll close out. 
since I, uh, yeah, it does seem like I hear some sort of feedback on my end, or on your end when I'm talking. So, um, yeah, I'm just I'll close it there since we're uh, we're getting late anyway. That one of the things that we can do in the wilderness is to discover God's grace more deeply, and uh, that maybe we need the wilderness uh, to really you know delve deeply into God's grace and uh, so that would be my encouragement is to you know live in his grace in this wilderness time uh, surrender to his care for you and uh, and that's my uh, my wish for you this week uh, as we're in the wilderness together so grace and peace Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church media productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.